You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Henry Mandel. Henry, thanks so much for being with me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Henry, we're going to talk about your show that's uh, at Anita Rogers Gallery right now, and um, and it's super unknown. And I, I want to get into this to this work and and ask more about all of it. But to begin with, uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about when it was made. The, the title, Super Unknown, um, coinciding with the fact that a lot of this work, uh, if I'm correct in understanding this, came out of the pandemic, right? Can, can you tell me a little bit about that, the title, Super Unknown, and also um, the context you were in, uh, in, in terms of the state of the world, the years when you were making this work? Sure. I can take it in two different directions. I think I was inspired by uh, the artist Anne Hamilton when I was... Let me back up a second. Yes, the work was pretty much the result of some experiments over the last three years when most of us were pretty isolated and I was interested in making connections and what it means to make connections and sort of ruminating on my own studio practice. And I revisited uh, an essay by Anne Hamilton, a wonderful artist, called Making Not Knowing. And I'm going to paraphrase, but uh, she says one doesn't necessarily know where one is going when you're working in the studio. So by default, we go from what we know towards what we don't know. And that an artist's job is to be able to recognize this and to be comfortable not knowing. And that really resonated with me. Um, I was not comfortable in the studio. I felt isolated and leaned into this. And the idea of a super unknown was appealing to me, not just because it was a popular rock song that sort of resonated back from the years, but uh, leaning into this idea of being okay with not knowing and looking for different signs from the studio practice itself. And the other um, path that led from, from that was this bigger idea of people pushing back on what we know about the natural world, which is most of the source material for what I do. And the fact that um, so many people think they can make up their own facts about reality and kind of popular cultural pushback, I think you know what I'm alluding to, was very this, disturbing this, to me. This, so, this, is, this is a pandemic um, uh, kind of politics and, and, and situation, alternative facts and, yes. and more, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It was, it was insulting to me. I mean, I just, it was bruising, really. And I think a lot of people may share that sentiment. Um, you know, we, I, I just feel uh, so fortunate to be living in a time when we know so much. I mean, we know more about what we don't know than we've ever known before. But, I mean, I find it miraculous, um, the James Webb telescope and microscopy and discoveries. I mean, the natural world is a huge mystery, but I feel privileged to be living in a time when we have access to this extraordinary, rich information. And uh, you might agree we stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us, who've done incredible work to, to figure this stuff out. Anyway, the idea of a super unknown, I thought, was uh, 
uh, a concise way to reach towards something that should be respected. And so we're we're talking about the pandemic and 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 these works coming out of it. So um, so supra un, unknown as as apart from that kind of way of, of thinking about artistic process, you're um, and just to get into this a, a little deeper, we're talking about um, phenomena in the world that's unknown, like COVID, like the reason people like Trump get elected, and and um, and, and like the reason half the country was um, was enamored of conspiracy theories and 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 alternate sort of realities. I hate to even say alternate realities because they're not alternate realities. They're um, they're simply you know. Um, False notions. Um, is, is that what you're what, what you're also talking about? Well, um, I want to be careful here because I don't want to. Uh, you know, it, perhaps it's wishful thinking on my part, but I I want to try and supersede just the, the political turmoil. I mean, I I think about it a lot. I think we all, you know, anyone who's sensitive will think about it. But I didn't want to put it directly into the work because. Um, the politics of it all seems so, it just seemed to have a, a terrible drag um, and a kind of a um, noise, self-perpetuating, you know, attention-grabbing um, emptiness. But I didn't want to infect the work with it directly, but I think I'm, I'm, my way of dealing with it was to talk about the things that aren't really getting the same amount of attention, like uh, discoveries about the history of the universe, um, how human beings make emotional connections, what it means to have empathy, those kinds of things. I don't mean it to be as an antidote, but I thought, well, these are the kind of things I wish I was reading about in the paper every day instead of this this you know, empty sort of grabbing for power. I mean, human beings are very good at figuring out and to influence one another. And now it's just become this um, overheated, very well orchestrated. Um, and and I, I don't blame people for being taken in because it's very difficult, especially with technology, to know what's real and what isn't. But I think if, with a little bit of effort, it's pretty easy to see what, what's genuine and what's just a bunch of uh, of folks trying to gain power for their own you know, personal advantage. So I, I didn't want to yeah. put that directly. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to make political work per se. But in a way, the questions that I'm putting forward and the the phenomenon that I'm trying to put into the work reflects my my uh, irrepressible joy of being in the world, and and um, they can't take that from me. It's so good to hear. Yeah, I, lo I love talking about all of this and, and certainly agree with you. So let's jump into some of the work. Um, Satoshi's Garden is um, 006. It's from 2023, and this is a large piece. It's 72 by 70, almost 6 by 6 feet. Um, I I'd love to hear a little more about this. I, I don't know exactly what UV polymer is um, in, terms of in terms of the process, so I I'd love to hear about that that process and, and also the title of this work. Sure. Um, please stop me if I get in the weeds here because um, there's a lot to share about the process. 
I guess that's a good place to start because most of the work in the Super Unknown exhibition began as stories or text. And I'm altering the shapes of words and letters themselves as sort of a pre-existing ready-made, if you will. Um, so I'll start with a subject matter I'm interested in and then change the shape of the language itself into the form of the final painting. And there's a lot of intermediary steps before that happens. Um, but to answer your question, UV polymer is an industrial printing process that uses acrylic. Uh, and I have been experimenting. So I'm, I'm trained traditionally with uh, standard you know, art school um, background in, let's say, liquid pigments. Um, but I decided early on to try to embrace digital work because it's pervasive and it's and it's challenging and it's different. And I thought, well, maybe I've, pardon this terrible pun, but maybe I've painted myself into a corner because it's very difficult to work with. And I wasn't sure if the material was going to be archival or what it would look like on canvas. Maybe you're aware of uh, Wade Guyton, who's a painter who uses inkjet printers to create painting. Sure, sure. Experimenting. Kind, of, kind of glitch work also is what I think of when yes. I think of him. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's definitely exploiting what the machine does. And I, I found another way of working with these machines that um, allowed me to create these paintings in vector space. So I used um, painting programs and drawing programs like Adobe Illustrator where I can take language. So with Satoshi's Garden, these paintings are, the source text comes from the Satoshi Nakamoto Bitcoin white paper. And what is that? That's a nine-page document that pretty much changed the world. It um, laid out the rules for the very first blockchain for Bitcoin. Now, everyone gets pretty um, distracted, I think, by the the whole story of Bitcoin, and I'm not advocating for crypto, but I felt that, wow, I'm interested in connections, networks, shapes, how people make connections. And um, this paper solved the problem of having a distributed ledger that exists on everyone's individual computer. So there's no central governor. There's no, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, there are huge... Um, farms of computers now sort of mining, but, but the, pre, the, the overarching principle of it was that it would be a sort of a distributed network that everyone would have and no one would own it. And I thought, that's radical. So here's a way for everyone to have a connection and also a secure way of making transactions without any governing body involved. So I thought, okay, well, this is a demarcation for um, how people are going to communicate. So I thought that's a good source uh, material for making art. Um, the, the idea of a garden came from my other research into what's happening with uh, investigations in the Pacific Northwest with mycelium networks. And the first wa Bitcoin wallet was actually called mycelium. Mycelium is a network of underground living fibers that connect trees and plants and it's a very fascinating thing so the, the the conceit of these paintings are that satoshi's garden is growing and that human beings made it for better or worse and uh, we're not sure where it's going but uh, the paintings reflect this kind of chaotic 
energy of some sort of, it's implied that it's some kind of living system. And I tried to put a lot of movement and interconnected and meshed shapes that perhaps evoke a coral reef or a forest or whatever associations people want to bring if they want to be literal about it. Um, yeah, I just tried to put a lot of movement and life into it. Well, you have, and, and that's such an um, <clears throat> articulate sense of, of what's happening there. To, to talk about a, one more piece, Theory of Mind 18, uh, you know, some of these pieces have almost a sense of, of the infinite in them, this kind of um, almost gazing, gazing kind of ball or something where we can go further and further into it, which, which seems to reflect a little bit of some of the things you've been talking about in terms of of the universe and more, but but perhaps this is uh, different, right? We're talking about a theory of mind, and I imagine this is drawn from a particular place too. This is um, polymer on aluminum. Yeah, um, I appreciate I appreciate what you said. Um, I tend to see things as being rather complex, and I'm attracted to interwoven patterns. Um, I'm inspired by uh, traditional textiles, actually. Um, the work of Sheila Hicks or perhaps Aaron M. Riley. These are weavers and, and uh, artists that do um, fiber arts. And again, it's another metaphor for the fabric of the universe. And that word fabric crops up so often when people are trying to think about how things are connected. So um, I'm crafting these or painting these, if you will, to give the appearance that there's a woven up in intertwined sense of some living thing. And um, there's a tremendous amount of detail. Uh, theory of mind is interesting because working with a triangular shape is a challenge. Um, it's a very strange shape. And it struck me that it reminded me of something of otherness. And these pieces are about how human beings develop empathy um, the texto theory of mind is uh, an important social cognitive skill. It's a, it's a psychology theory that basically says that when a human being, when a baby is from three to five years old, they begin to realize that other people have thoughts separate than their own. And then as theory of mind really takes hold, babies realize that others can hide thoughts from them or that they can present behavior that isn't really what they're actually thinking and that perhaps they're lying. So if we're in a nurturing environment, then we can develop empathy and realize that others have needs that we can address. If we're not nurtured, then we can be suspicious of others when this happens. So I thought, well, this makes us human. Um, I was also thinking about uh, all these reports of triangles in the sky, uh, these UFOs, people, there was a lot of reports out here, triangles, floating triangles in the sky. It's all happened during the pandemic. And I thought, well, this is completely wild. I wanted to make work about triangles because aliens, otherness, separateness. And then I thought, well, wait a second, we're all aliens to everywhere else in the universe. So what makes us so special? Well, that led me to figure out a way of expressing what makes us human, and I landed on theory of mind. So this is a roundabout way of, of uh, sharing with you that the, the abstracted um, 
intertwined lines of the interior of the triangle is the text of that theory that I've altered letter by letter so that each colored line is a separate letter, if you will. I, mean, I, I could just drill down a second and say, when I'm working with text in a vector drawing program, like uh, let's say Adobe Illustrator, if I activate a specific letter, it becomes almost uh, fluid, like a rubber band. You can grab it with – so everything I'm doing is – I'm sorry, I'm going to just clarify that there's no AI and there's no automation and no algorithm involved in what I'm doing. It's all handmade. I'm using a stylus or a mouse, and it allows me to take the text of theory of mind letter by letter and decide in the moment by stretching or twisting or dragging or layering up all of this beautiful text into this abstract image. It's time-consuming, but I'm still thinking like a traditional painter, um, you know, uh, push-pull and uh, foreground background and all these sort of classic um, methods that a, an easel painter would use to see if a picture is working. I'm doing this too, except that I'm sort of working with a ghost. You know, this is, exists in this other medium through this intermediary computer. But, um, you know, that's the, that's the state we live in. Everyone's using a computer or a phone or whatever. No one's really touching the thing they're looking at. So I thought this is a this is where I should be working. Anyway, that's a lot of information, but um, tell me if I can uh, expand on anything else. No, that's helpful, and that's so interesting. It's great talking to you about this. I think um, I think next up for the listeners is they have to go see your show. This show is up to October fourteenth at Anita Rogers Gallery. There's links here to learn more and more images uh, about about much of what you're saying. But of course, the work has to be seen because there's a yeah, an, an incredible feeling about it. I, I think this is a gorgeous show, and and so I want to thank oh, you. I appreciate that so much. Thank and yeah, I, it's it's great talking to you about this. I, I also want to ask you one last question that's a little off topic, but I'm I'm always curious. What are you reading at the moment? Oh, I there is a wonderful book by Rupert Sheldrake called Entangled Life, and um, it, it it he is a research scientist who has visited the Pacific Northwest in British Columbia and in Washington State and is investigating what is happening under the ground with these mycelial networks and different companies that are uh, using this material to help solve a lot of environmental issues. But the most exciting part about it is that the book is explaining that there is some sort of distributed intelligence that is actually making decisions um, letting plants uh, share resources and um, is pervasive. People think that trees connect to one another. They don't. They all connect to this network, and that the network is is um, listening and assisting and feeding. It's quite fascinating. Uh, if anyone is interested in the natural world, I highly recommend it. Well, thank you so much. That does sound absolutely fascinating. And Henry, I want to thank you again for talking with me today. It's really been a great pleasure to talk with you about your work, and I wish you well on your show. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>